Hello and welcome back to the Gig Guide to Life podcast with me, Will Stevenson. This is the podcast about exposing our guests' dirty musical laundry. Thank you for tuning in again. Each week we go through our guests' best, worst and weirdest live musical memories. And this week our guest is singer, guitarist and chart topper J.P. Cooper. Hey mate. Hello, hello. How we doing? Yeah, not bad, mate. How you doing? You'll know JP from his hits like September Song and Sing It With Me, along with a number one collaboration with Jonas Blue, Perfect Strangers. Speaking to him revealed a much more chatty and down-to-earth person than I'd expected, and we kicked off by discussing his hometown, my adopted city, Manchester. It was the first podcast I recorded entirely during lockdown via Zoom, so please forgive the slightly less than stellar audio quality in places. It's entirely listenable and a brilliant chat so please stick around i'll be back at the end with some more information but for now sit back relax and listen to episode three of gig guide to life podcast with jp cooper but i lived in like south manchester for a while like wally range and yeah um, yeah yeah yeah. old trafford and places like that for a bit but yeah it's all right you know it gets a bad rep Ah, do you know what there's so many decent bars and pubs and stuff yeah little cafes and it's it's a nice spot i think it's yeah. more and more it's getting more like postgraduates young families things like yeah, that yeah 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 i don't know how much they ran you through what we what we're going to chat about i mean i i literally um i just i only checked my my email at about half nine <laughs> and then tim was like yeah i'll do it at 10 but it, yeah it's fine like it's all good so yeah talking about what first gigs last gigs yeah 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 weird, definitely weird things um, that's all good. So before all that, I just wanted to have a quick chat about your little bit of love video, which seems quite relevant right now. It's got a really big fan-made element to it as well. Yeah, so obviously, um, with us all being locked down at the minute, um, it's really hard for anyone to kind of, you know, get a crew together and make mm. a real music video, do all of that stuff. And actually, that song wasn't supposed to be the next release. Um, we had a different song lined up, which we'd shot the music video for. But this song's been... Um, you know, in the list of songs for the album for a while. And with everything that's going on, we thought, you know what, now's the perfect time for it. I think people will really engage with it. Um, yeah. I think it's super positive, super uplifting. So yeah, we just wanted the, um, the video to kind, of, to kind of mirror that. And I think the interesting thing is, like, I, I, get, I get feels from this, this video, just seeing people having a great time. And it's yeah. from, you know, we put out an email saying, uh, we put out a post saying, <laughs> If any of you guys have any footage that you've taken um, with your loved ones, um, just basically anything that makes you feel joy, send them in. And we got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these videos from all over the world. Um, and yeah, we sort of rifled through them and picked out the ones that made us feel a certain way. And obviously we had someone to help us edit it, put it together. Um, so it, it's funny because, you know, so much thought and so much work and so much money goes into creating music videos usually. And this was just like, let's just get a lot of footage of people having a good time, knock it together. And I absolutely love it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. the weird thing was me having to walk around my estate, like with my phone in my face, like singing along, um, you know, cause I just, li- I live on, on like a terraced street, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so um, yeah. I was kind of, you know, I was trying to get that nice light just after sunset and kind of, I think you can see it a few moments in the video. I'm sort of, um, I've clocked someone walking the dog on the other side of the street and I'm like, oh, better just stop for a minute. Or you can see me looking around like, shit, is anyone coming? But um, no, really happy with how it turned out. 
Yeah, definitely. It's, it is like a little beautiful little message of positivity. It just feels like everything in the world just keeps on <laughs> getting worse and worse. So oh, it's, it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. Um, yeah, we could talk all day about that. Yeah, definitely, man. It's, uh, I mean, it was interesting yesterday. Obviously, we were scheduled to speak yesterday um, yeah. because of the, the blackout we chose not to. Um, and it's been really nice to see all different corners of the industry coming together to support that. Mm. Hundred um, percent, and you know, further afield as well. I just I feel like other industries have sort of caught mm. onto it. There's been so many people who aren't necessarily involved in music um, mm. that have also been getting involved. So it's amazing to see. But obviously, you know, now now's the the day after, and it's like, okay, well, how how do we continue that? I mean, it's I think it is strange. Like as 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 a white person, you know, it does make us think like, what is my role in this? And yeah. and I think it's up to us to kind of um you know really press into that and find out in fact, calvin harris posted um a list of books that someone had recommended him and i just uh downloaded the audio book it's called how to be anti-racist i can't mm. remember who it's by but i spent quite a lot of time yesterday just listening to that um and i think just trying to educate ourselves a little bit is is a start um because i think there's so much as white people we're only told um of our victories you know, mm. throughout, like, I mean, I can only speak for how it is in the UK, but we're only told about our victories, you know, the World War, all of those things. And then you might talk about the Roman Emperor and things, but it doesn't actually go into all of the other stuff. Yeah. And I think it's very important for us to kind of educate ourselves about that so that we can um, understand why there is still just this, this strange divide going on um, and be better at kind of tackling that and those injustices when they do appear in our daily lives so if we speak go back on to um back to your music career um back to when everything started which is around 2011 2012 i believe under the jp cooper name anyway you, uh, yeah i guess yeah yeah under my name yeah so what was can you tell us something about pre pre the official releases i mean gosh i mean i i started my kind of whole romance with music probably started in like the late nineties, mm. <clears throat> which kind of shows my age a little bit. Um, <laughs> but I was young. Um, yeah. But since then, since around then, you know, at high school around the time of, you know, Manchester had so much incredible music coming out of yeah, it. It was yeah, like yeah. the musical place at the time. Um, so a lot more kids in schools were, getting guitars and things like that. So I kind of stumbled upon it. And since then, I've been in some way, shape or form making music with my friends, whether it was covering Oasis songs in, in 97 or whether it was, um, you know, performing as I do now. Um, but it took a long time. You know, it took me, I, I signed my record deal in... My son was born in 2012 and I signed two years after that. So I signed in 2013, 2014. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a long, uh, wow. So from 97, 98, when I was literally, my voice hadn't broke yet and I've got set <laughs> recordings of me singing songs to, um, yeah, to 2014, I was basically playing the toilet circuit. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's your, what was your favourite small <laughs> venue to play? Um, so 
I loved playing um, the Roadhouse in Manchester. We had a really yeah. good um, relationship with Chris, who was a promoter there. So we'd, you know, at first it was like, you know, we'd, we'd go into the office. They had an office across the street and you'd, you'd buzz up and we'd say, oh, you know, I'm in a band. Can we come up and talk to you? And you'd go up and really nervous because he was the owner of a venue. And honestly, how many must that have held? 150? Yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> tiny, yeah. Um, and... You know, but loads of bands came through there, you know. And, um, yeah, we'd go up and it was like, all right, well, what we'll do is we'll you sell the tickets, you get a pound back for every person that comes in after 20 people. Sometimes you wouldn't get 20 people in, so you'd yeah. get nothing. But we just wanted to do a gig. And yeah, then it yeah, went yeah. from that to, you know, building up to a point where he'd say, well, come in, we'll have a look through the diary and we'll see if there's any, like, more, you know, better, not better, bigger bands coming through. Um, that need support and um, you know I think we'd, every now and again something would pop up and I don't think I ever supported anyone huge there well that got huge there but there was definitely bands that were like well this is going to be a sold out show mm. do you want to open up and that was super exciting so it was nice to have you know there's not as much of that that goes on now you know mm. there's, back then it was you could actually go and sit down and talk with the promoter and get to know them a little bit um, I don't know how regular that was but that was how it was for us at that venue and um and actually have them really support that whereas i think now there's not many of them independent venues left it's just yeah you know, well this is it isn't it like that's that's the issue that's that's gonna face us even more so after all this is over with corona because yeah the small venues that we have got don't have the funds to keep keep going mm. you know i've seen so many little um kickstarters and crowdfunders just to keep these places around because yeah. they don't have the backing yeah, I mean, they've been struggling anyway, but yeah, um, yeah this is going to be a tough one. And, and I think for, I guess it's changing because a lot of a lot of people who are creating music now who are young and who are just beginning to do it, they won't even do a gig until after they've signed mm. because they've done everything online. And to be honest with you, you can learn your craft by performing online, but it isn't the same as like playing in a room full of people that aren't listening to you. Yeah, 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 <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. If everyone's um, already there to listen to you, it's you, that's it. Gone, isn't it. You know, it's not it's yeah. not the same as you know um, working your butt off to fly or outside nightclubs and do all that stuff and to get people to the show and turn up and there's still only four people there. Yeah. You know, it's it's it was very different, and I'm really grateful to have been through that time. And actually, it's been interesting for me. I feel like I'm part of a a very lucky generation who has been able to see both sides mm. of it, you know, since the internet and the kind of social media generation, like I've been able to, I was that kid saying, come to my gig outside music venues and handing out like hand printed flyers mm. and stuff. And, you know, I've, I'm also the person now who is trying to find my way through Instagram and things like that, <laughs> which, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. kind of strange for me. You know, I don't wake up and think, great, let's document, my life today but you know it's something that is an incredible platform i i think it's um it's impossible to have a healthy relationship with it but mm. we're doing our best you know yeah. yeah yeah it's a super tricky one especially like when it comes to i think when i look at instagram there's two different ways to go about it right which is you either go everything and it's your personal account and your your public account or mm. you know it's it's just for music or it's just yeah. for whatever you end up being and i think either one can have success 
but y- you just don't know where your audience is until you get there. Mm. That's the tricky thing with it. Some people well, are think, really keen. Sorry, go on. I think people nowadays, um, as the audience, mm. they just want to know everything. Mm. Like they're so used to, um, they're so used to knowing everybody's business. You know, like, um, and I don't, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think, you know, because it's up to the individual to put up what they want to put up. I mean, I've definitely shared things about myself and my wife and things like that. And I guess for me, I guess it depends on the style of music you're doing. I mean, for me, I'm just trying to show just a regular, ordinary life. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to pose with fancy cars or anything like that. So yeah, I guess I feel like people will relate to that side of me. Yeah. Sometimes in in this day and age the music does get polished for radio and it does get and everything's you know perfect and i think it's really important to show actually we're pretty normal yeah 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 definitely Mm. so we've gone back to when you first started um performing gigs what about that what was the very first thing you attended first thing i attended um (laughs) was oasis at the gmex in 1997 yeah be here now tour um and it was the first gig i'd ever been to so my friend Adam, who I ended up playing music with for years, uh, um, his older brother and all his mates were in a band and they all played guitar. So that was really the first thing. It was just part of that little little young yeah, community yeah, yeah, kids yeah, who played yeah. music. And so they were probably, so I, in, in 97, I would have been 13, 14. Um, and they were probably... 16 so you know we'd be in we're, i can remember we we're in the queue outside that was down it went down into the car park and it was so many people that to be honest i was a bit scared because it was like yeah, manchester yeah, yeah. you know it's it's a bit sketchy at times and when there's massive groups of people like yeah, that yeah, and yeah, yeah. oasis's fans were kind of quite laddish <laughs> and we were all in the queue i was this little kid um and i can remember my mate's brothers um i got a few tinnies in and we were stood in the queue drinking a few beers and um, I think I was drunk before I got in there. You know, I was dead young. Um, and we rushed to the front. Um, and it was amazing. But I can remember having this weird, it was this adrenaline and this, this buzz and this kind of just awe of like, wow, this is incredible. Yeah. But then this underlying fear of just being in a dark room full of people that were bigger than me, who were mostly really drunk and shouting and throwing beer. And, um, but it was an amazing experience. Like absolutely amazing. The place was just seemed cavernous to me. It was massive, but um, yeah, that was a special show. Yeah, man. What a shame as well. Gmex, what a venue. Is that just not doing music anymore? No, nah, it's just for like events. They do a lot of events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Surely someone will do something else. You would have thought. That was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And what I about- played. I actually did a gig for. Um, this was when I. I think I don't know whether I'd signed yet, but I'd nearly signed. And I can't remember what it was for, but it was for, was it called, was it Sainsbury's or was it, it was one, it was, oh no, it was Morrison's, M-Fest, all right? <laughs> M-Fest. And they basically had set up, it was for all of the Morrison's employees and they'd set up, um, they'd set up like a festival inside the G-Max. So they had like Rocky Oki where they had like a band where, um, you know, the CEOs could jump up drunk and sing wow. along with this band and, you know, sing some Bon Jovi and stuff. And then they had the acoustic tent. And I think I got paid like a few hundred quid, which at the time was like, yes, I'll do that. Um, 
to go and, and obviously back then it was just me and a guitar, it was super acoustic and all I could hear was like, someone shredding on this Rocky Oki thing over the whole thing and <laughs> that was horrible. So yeah, thanks Morrison's. <laughs> but it was That's fun. amazing. It was I never knew they were actually yeah. real things. You hear, don't you, about the, yeah, the CEX one as well. That's really just bizarre. A, yeah, just a big knees up for their staff and everyone <laughs> comes down and yeah, everyone seemed like they had a good time. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. You can't <laughs> knock it for it. Yeah, I'd go. <laughs> yeah. So about, what about the most recent? What's the last thing you went to pre-lockdown? So to be honest with you, I, I, um, cause usually now when I go and see shows, it's, it's either like festival season and I'll just yeah. be hanging around for a bit and I'll go and watch something else. I think this last year, I've spent so much time in the studio trying to finish and work on the album that, um, I've not actually been out to see much. There's one thing that springs to mind that was like, I was like a fan. So basically we played this uh, festival in Germany. Was it last year or was it the year before? Anyway, not Germany, Belgium. Um, and the headliners of that day were Pearl Jam. And I, I was a massive, like, they're like, they were like my first band that yeah, I like, yeah, yeah, fully yeah. idolized. Um, earlier on in the bill was um, Jack Johnson, who I love, amazing songwriter. Seems like one of the coolest guys. Um, and Jack White was doing a set as well. So Jack Johnson was playing. And um, I was like, all right, let's go to that. And we went and stood side of the stage. And um, I turned around and looked to the right of me. And it's Eddie Vedder having a chat with Jack White. And I'm like, I don't, I don't usually get like yeah. kind of fanboy about things. But with Eddie, I'm just like, you know, he, he I think Pearl Jam were like the first thing that I really, really, really um, was like, I love the whole, the movement of it. I mean, there was some it's of them more acoustic yeah. songs and things like that. It was just like, this speaks to me. I think the Manchester thing was a little bit too laddish, even though the songs were incredible. I, I didn't really feel like a part of that movement. Yeah. Um, and for some reason with the, with the Pearl Jam thing, it was kind of, it was angry, but it was like um, heart on sleeve as well. And it was kind of, there was so much, I guess, um, there just seemed like a lot of depth in there. Mm. So they were the first band that I kind of, you know, I guess I, I read all the magazines about them. and yeah. I tried to It's nice, to, it's nice to have your own thing as well, isn't it? Because like Oasis, Manchester was just, you couldn't escape it. Yeah. But you being like, do you know what? Actually, I'm, I'm a grunge kid. Do yeah, you know? well, that's it. Yeah, we kind of, you know, I think it was, again, it was my friend's brothers that mm. really kind of introduced me to that stuff. And um, yeah, I, basically, so I'm at this festival there's Eddie, Jack White, um, and Jack Johnson's on stage performing. And anyway, they stopped talking and I just thought, I've got to go and say something. I can't not. So I go to Eddie. I said, oh, mate, I just, just wanted to say thank you for all of your music. Like, if it wasn't for you, I might not have got into music myself. And um, I thought, you know, I, I don't want to be over the top about it. I, don't want yeah. to, I just want to say that, shake his hand, and, and that'll be it. So we did that and he just kind of was like, oh, thanks, man. And then two minutes later, he walked around to the other side of the stage and watched the rest of the show from there. <laughs> and he was just <laughs> like, I, do, I can't spend like the rest of the gig. Um, so I, would, but I just thought, I can't wait to call all my mates and tell them that I basically just got like blown out. Um, <laughs> but I thought we were going to be mates, you know, I thought, oh, probably yeah, you can see it in your eyes. Yeah. Or something later. It was like, no, it didn't happen. Um, oh, man. So that was, that was a beautiful moment. 
<laughs> do you know what though you can't blame him can you because he must get that oh not at all he just day. wanted to watch the show <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah yeah do you know yeah. what i think he was because he actually went on and did a song with jack johnson so oh, really he was probably just trying to get ready to go on stage and do his thing <laughs> um i just thought he was watching so i was like because he's headlining jack was on like you know six seven o'clock in the evening kind of sunset slot and uh yeah Kind of embarrassed, but kind of like really buzzing about it as well. Ah, <laughs> uh, you couldn't have not though. You couldn't have not. Uh, I was a me- no, I had to. I had to. Okay, so following on from that, let's see how much worse mm. we can get. What is right. the strangest thing that's ever happened to you on tour? So we used to do. Um, again, I think it was it was before I signed. Again, so it was we used to get together with. I'd have myself, um, a guide who'd drive for me and someone who was like the sound engineer um and we do these highlands and islands tours mm. up in scotland so we'd either go up to scotland and we do like stornoway aviemore inverness dundee um loads of little places like that we'd also do one on the south coast um, of england as well but um we had one gig i mean there were always some of them were great small venues you know they were kind of pubs yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. things like that we did one in um, Inverness and um, we, we turned up and written on the chalkboard outside was um, tonight live JP Morgan. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was a good start. You know, that, that was the level that we were Brilliant. at. You know, they'd literally just scribbled it on a chalkboard like outside. Yeah, yeah. So we go, we get in the gig um, and I think there was a couple of support acts and you know, during the support acts, there's nobody there. Like, absolutely nobody there um and it was just weird because it wasn't even like there's five people there was was literally no one one. yeah yeah um so they just kind of played they didn't seem that bothered by it i guess that was normal up there um yeah to be honest it it happened a a lot but at this point i'd kind of started you know in manchester at the time i was shifting a few hundred tickets and things like that so um anyway so we're playing and and there was a few people that came in and, and it was, it was just really weird. Um, so we started playing. It was like, okay, well, let's play. And halfway through the second song, this woman who was probably in her fifties right. started like just doing this interpretive dance to the songs. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she did that for the rest of the whole set. And it was a complete icebreaker. Cause after that, I stopped think I stopped feeling sorry for myself <laughs> <laughs> and was just thinking this is incredible <laughs> so there was me the sound engineer and like the lad who's kind of he's still tour managers for me now mm. um who were just kind of looking at each other like this is incredible but it's strange because even to those few people it was so important to me that like I played the best I possibly could yeah yeah, yeah 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 you know and it, but it just like Whoever that woman is, like, she deserves a medal because, like, it just completely changed the mood of it. And it went from just awkward to weird and wonderful. And, like, I hope the other few people in the audience will, will, will not forget that because she outformed me, like, <laughs> <laughs> 10 to 1, you know. She was amazing. Um, so that was, that was pretty weird. So that was pre being science. Yeah. That was 20, what, 15? So no, so I, when did I sign again? Twenty fourteen. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was 
that was I reckon it was just before. It was probably around that time. Yeah. yeah so. So a couple think, of years, a couple of years later, and Perfect Strangers comes out. Yeah. I'm imagining we're not going back to that toilet circuit. <laughs> no. So that was that was really strange because. Mm. Well, how did it come about, first of all? Okay, so when I signed um, with Island Records, I, I released two, or was it three? I think I released two um, EPs before mm. the album. It might have been three, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, and then, so I was still, you know, doing smaller, smaller venues, um, but, you know, it was a lot more. We did a lot more in London and Birmingham and Manchester yeah. and those kind of cities, but it was, it was building really nicely. Um, and yeah, I got, I, I started being asked to do these writing sessions with other people, which I'd never done before. You know, I wrote all of my songs just in my bedroom up until that point. Started getting asked to write with other writers and, and work on other people's things. And then the, a couple of DJs had sent me like tracks to like vocal or to, you know, mm. to write to. And it was weird because, you know, I was never really that into dance music. I didn't really get it. Um, and particularly with the Jonas Blue one, you know, it was very commercial sounding. Mm. So when I, when I first heard the track, I was like, I can't do that. You know, I'm, I'm the dude with a guitar. Um, and anyway, the, the label, they, they were quite clever about it, actually. They just said, oh, no, this isn't for you. They've, they've already got a singer that they want to be on the track. <laughs> but can you have a go at writing it? Because they're struggling to, like, get the top line for it. So I was like, okay, cool. I'll spend a day on it. Um, so spent a day on it, sent it through, um, and then Guy Jonas um, calls up the next day, and we we finished it over um, FaceTime whilst I was in the studio, and we kind of tweaked it, worked on some of the words. Um, so after that, it was like amazing. He loves it; they want to use it. So I was just thinking, great, you know, a bit of publishing, like yeah, a bit yeah, of yeah, kind yeah. of ghostwriting in the background. Um, and then a couple of weeks go by, and I get the call like from Darkus, who was the head of Ireland Records at the time, calls me in and he sat me down for a good 45 minutes and was like, how's it going? You know, and it was very, you know, we talked about, I mean, he was amazing with the way he put it actually, because if he just said in an email, like, they want you to do this track, will you do it? I probably would have got too scared and said no, because I was just so worried that people would be like, what the hell is JP doing? Is this some weird fame hungry, like, let's jump on a really commercial track to try and get somewhere. Um, and I was kind of just a bit too egotistical to do that, I think. And Darkus called me in and we sat down and he was, he was explaining to me how difficult it is to get and to break a new artist. And it's like, it, it often isn't enough for them to just, especially not now to just kind of, you know, lean on their fan base. Cause at the time the live thing was much stronger than anything else. You know, I hadn't had much radio support or anything mm -hmm. like that. And he was just saying the more areas of, of, I guess, fire or, you know, yeah, like uh, up thrust as if it's like a rocket that you're trying to launch into the sky. The more like boosters you've got, the, the more chance yeah, 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 of yeah, breaking yeah. through. And it was just, this was new. And actually by the end of it, I was like, do you know what? Let's give it a go. I'll do it. The worst thing that can happen is like, it'll be a flop and all of the people that have followed me up until now will hate me. And the <laughs> best thing bad. is, yeah, <laughs> the best thing is that um, it'll do really well. And my guys will just be like, cool, whatever. You're yeah. having some fun. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And obviously this song turned into this, it, it blew up so quickly. I couldn't, yeah. like, it seemed like it happened so quick. And I'd, at this point, I'd had a couple of spot plays with songs on the radio. 
that was about it. And then before you knew it, you know, I was going into stores and, and it was on and I didn't know where to put my face. And I can remember doing my first performance with Jonas Blue. It was, um, it was an MTV event. It was on a beach. I think it was Portsmouth or something like that. Flint, I don't know. It was down south on a beach. And there's 35,000 people there. And again, up until this point, I'd always performed with my band, with a guitar, very yeah. conversational, very kind of, I guess, quite intimate in a way. And all of a sudden, I'm stood on stage with just me and a microphone and a DJ behind yeah. me, two-stepping, not knowing where to move around the stage. I was like, <laughs> there's a video of Bill Withers singing Just the Two of Us, um, and he's just holding this little pencil mic. And Because, again, he was the guy with the guitar. And yeah, I think that's yeah, something yeah, he had yeah. a similar feeling about. Like he, he wasn't that sure that he wanted to put it out. Or, and there was a, there was a, there's a video of him just stood there, like stone looking at the camera just singing into this thing and I felt like him at that moment um but yeah little by little um I sort of settled into it and I, I beautifully I, I began to understand the dancing you know we went out mm. and we did um other shows and I got invited to Ibiza to work in some studios over there and do some writing sessions and Little by little it was like okay I get this and the great thing is just seeing smiling having a good time with their friends and, mm. and you know, enjoying the summer. So, so it was a good time. Yeah, it's, it's, get, it's getting over that bias that every like, young rock fan has towards selling 100%. out. It's and I, such a big pedestal. Yeah, I think, I think the way that, you know, we used to listen to music back then, it was definitely, mm. there were scenes. Mm. You were either um, a grunger or a rocker or you were an emo kid or you were into your dance music or you were into yeah. techno and it was, or you're into hip hop and it, it was you're just into that because those artists kind of mostly they stuck within their scene yeah. whereas now everyone's blending genres everybody's like you know collaborating with one another and i think it's amazing i think it's because music is so accessible you know you don't have to invest that much music to, to try think that much money to try things out i mean now you can pay a subscription fee to spotify and you have the world mm. at your fingertips whereas back then it was like you'd go into a record store and you'd You'd want to try something. You'd, you'd only want to pay something for um, a band that maybe had supported the, the band that you love. So mm. it would be a similar style. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was an interesting one. Whereas now it's just, but I still have that thing, you know. You know, mm. do people just want me to be the, the guy with the guitar or do they want me to be the, the dude that puts out songs like September Song or, or mm. do they want me to be like the more soulful, you know, but it's like, well, actually, it's beautiful because you can be all of those things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you don't need to restrict it. And then so yeah. after Perfect Strangers, you've mentioned it already. We've got onto like September song and stuff and yeah. working on, on the record. So you work with like Glass Animals, Mr. Hudson, Craig David. Yeah. Like, so uh -huh. who, who's been your favorite person to, to collaborate with since? Um, so there's people that um, I tend to keep going, mm. going back to. Um, you know, I work regularly with Mr. Hudson. Um, I, I mean, yeah, there's still a lot of people working on the second album that, that mm. I worked with on the first album. Um, you know, people that I've worked on for their projects, like Craig David. Um, obviously, that was a weird one because he's, he's like a legend, you know. <laughs> um, and when I met him... Um, it was just like we'd known each other forever. He's yeah, like the yeah, most yeah, down yeah. to earth, easy going guy. Um, so yeah, we actually, I did a couple of tracks with him. One ended up on his album. 
Um, but yeah, do you know what? I've re really enjoyed working um, with Bugsy Malone. Mm. Um, do you, you, know, do you have much of an interest in like the UK hip hop scene and stuff? I think it's amazing. Yeah, mm. I mean, mm. I, I love the voice um, that it has. I love the 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 voice that it's giving kind of young kids. You know, um, I think it's amazing the le the level of expression, but also just the, the level of talent. Like when yeah. you're looking at at people like, um, you know, I'll often go through like Fire in the Booth. And when you're looking at people like Avellino mm. and Wretch and Akala and, you know, Skepta, like there's, there's the level of like wordsmiths yeah. that they are and consistent. It's just, you know, these, these are um, very, very, very important people um, as role models in that world. Um, and it's, I absolutely love it. I think it's amazing. I think it's, it's the most sort of radical thing that we've got going on now. Mm. Um, and yeah, I love it. I just, I just think that their, their word smithery is just incredible. Um, you know, working with, with Bugsy, he, he just goes in the booth and he'll, he'll do it from start to finish. And, you know, we, when I, when we did our song together, um, he I think he turned up a little bit late and I'd already had like the chords and the the chorus for it and he was like wicked I'm feeling this girl goes in the booth and he's like he'll be thinking all right hit record and he'll do like a certain amount of it it'll, they'll loop the, the beat again all right cool and he'll do like the next few bars and before you know it, it's like there's a verse there and it's because for me I'm kind of you know I sit down at home I don't want to be doing that in the booth there's so much pressure yeah but, yeah, um, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's interesting just seeing the way that they do it yeah it's 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 uh it's an amazing thing so yeah, I, I don't know. To be honest with you, now during lockdown, I've really enjoyed not collaborating. I've yeah, loved kind of yeah, just yeah, being yeah. on my own in my little home studio. Um, you know, I've spent so many years working with different people because you know record labels they like to send you to writers who are having success, mm -hmm. um, just so that they you know I think it makes them feel a lot more confident about the project. Um, whereas I'm like, I really miss just being able to follow my mm. own nose and, and, um, it's nice being able to get back to that for a while. Do you think that's going to make the second record sort of stand out from the first? No, because it's done. The second oh, record's right. already done. <laughs> yeah. So we're just finishing off productions now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're kind of emailing back and forth between producers and, and making notes. And so I, I, I'm in a quite a nice time because my release is like scheduled we've got everything we need until 2021 mm -hmm. so of course we're constantly always working on other things and there's other opportunities that come up we're working with different people um but actually this is a beautiful time for me to kind of just take a little time focus on my own visions and in a way maybe this will end up being what the third album will be mm. um but who knows yeah i love that so mm. since blowing up I'm imagining, and I might be, I might be well off base here, but I'm imagining the best live performances that you've ever done have come post that. Um, yeah, I guess so. I, I don't know, what's, so. what stands out the most if I just say to you, tell me about the best live experience you've ever had? It was probably um, playing at Shepherd's Bush Empire mm. a couple of days after the, um, the bombings in Manchester. Oh man, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, and obviously, I wasn't performing in Manchester, but that shook every large gathering of people for quite a while after yeah. that. And it was literally, and we were thinking, should we cancel the show? Um, because you know, people are going to be worried about their safety. 
And we thought, you know what? No, this isn't, it, this is about fear. We shouldn't yeah. be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously security was a lot tighter and things like that. But I was, I mean, being from, from Manchester, uh, as you all know, that really hit hard. You know, yeah. you hear about these things. And, and it is, it's, in a way, it's silly because this happens all over the world, but it does hit you differently when it's on your doorstep. Yeah, completely. Um, so I was very, very, very just emotional for a few days. I can remember just feeling, I can't even explain it. I still can't explain it now. It's just like a black hole, man. Like, I, I, yeah. I exactly the same. I went to the, um, the day after when they had the memorial and it was mm. just the weirdest feeling of just yeah. complete and utter sadness, but also yeah. hope. It's bizarre. Yeah, well, I think the response of yeah. the, the community was incredible. Yeah. It was like one of my most proudest moments as someone from Manchester. Like I was, I thought it was incredible. Um, and yeah, you know, this, this show, we did it and, and people turned up and you could feel that love, you know, yeah. we, we yeah, talked yeah, yeah. about it and everybody knew that everybody had given it some thought. And you could you could feel it, and I think obviously everyone knowing that I was from Manchester, even though it was a London show, you could really feel that love and that almost defiance, mm. you know, towards terrorism and all those things of people just coming together and being like, no, this this isn't this isn't going to govern us. Mm. Um, and that was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful moment that I'll never forget. Yeah, definitely, man. It's uh, it's one of the most powerful things about music, isn't it? It's why currently I think everyone's missing gigs so much yeah definitely Have yeah, you got any instagram plan? live stuff's good but it's, <laughs> it's not quite cutting it <laughs> so i was about i was about to go into that like do you have yeah. you been following much on instagram live do you think it's a good thing bad thing um so it's it's good it's really good i mean i i for the up until a couple of weeks ago i was doing every monday night i'd get up yeah. i'd have a chat i'd sing a few songs um and it was really off the cuff and th i think people really liked it because it was just me in my room with no microphones, no nothing, just kind of, you know, just, they really liked the fact that they could see it like that. Normally yeah. they don't get that, you know, everything's polished and, you know, rehearsed and all of that. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's cool, but I don't know. I think there's a human connection that you get when you're playing live and being able to see people's expressions and how they respond to certain things. Um, and not only that, Music's to be shared with like your friends, you know, so everybody's at home on their own tuning into this. Music's about getting together with the people that you love and set, making it a celebration, you know? So um, obviously you can't, can't do that as much from home. Yeah. So yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to, um, you know, getting back out and doing that. We do have tours scheduled for late October through November. Um, fingers crossed, you know, that's all going to go yeah. well. Things seem to be moving in the right direction, but at the minute, I'm kind of just know, playing each day as it comes out. Yeah, rolling with the punches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, yeah, how yeah. it goes. Nice one, man. Just to wrap things up, then. Um, so you just released your little bit of love um, playlist recently, just as we're speaking about positive things through music. And I was just wondering if you could sort of give us a couple of songs that you've been sort of listening to over this quarantine that's been helping you sort of get in the right mood. So my my wife listens to a lot of soca music. Mm. Um, so there's been a lot of that she puts it on when she works out in the morning so there's been a lot of um yeah trinidadian and st lucian so soca played in the house um there's an artist called kez 
Uh, there's a track called Workout with Nyla Blackman um, that just always gets me up in the morning. That's amazing. Um, and then all I'm hearing all the time is, um, again, my wife saying, okay, Google, play Motown classics. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. I think one of the songs in, in it is um, Mr. Postman. Wait a minute, Mr. Postman. Postman, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The banger. Um, so that's, it's amazing. So that kind of stuff's been on every morning. I don't know what it is. Like, there's been something about um, the past. I feel like we've been a lot more connected, especially with it being VE Day a few weeks ago. Mm. We felt a lot more connected to that older generation mm. with what's going on now because we've not been able to be out consuming and all of this and that and the other. We've been in our communities. And it's been mm. a beautiful thing. Like I say, I live on a terrace street. It's a cul-de-sac. Like we're all looking in on one another. But most of the time we go out the door to work in the morning with our heads down. And now we've had these opportunities to kind of, you know, actually say hello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a really nice thing. And um, though I don't know what it is about those songs. It, I feel like it reminds me of a time I wasn't here, but I get the idea that there was just more of a community back then. So, you know, windows open, music blurring. Um, it's nice to go back to the kind of Motown moments and things like that. So yeah. yeah. Wait a minute, Mr. Postman, who did that? I don't know who did that, but I'm sure you can dig it out. We'll, we'll edit it and it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's beautiful, man. Is there anything else that you'd like to just sort of promote or wrap up? Um, no, <laughs> I think we covered a lot of it. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Not to shout too much about it at the minute. Nah, fantastic. That's been really brilliant to talk to you, mate. It's been really, nah, really you good. You too, man. There you have it. That was JP Cooper. His new single, Little Bit of Love, is out now. You can watch the video on YouTube and stream it on all the usual platforms. Next Monday, I'll be back with Tom from indie band The Blinders. Really good chat, that one. Please check back next week. Please follow us, rate, subscribe, review, Apple Podcasts, all the usual outlets. Uh, five stars really does mean the world. Please follow us on all the social channels, Twitter, Instagram, at Gig Guide to Life. Thanks for this episode. Go to Shane Hawkins from WMAPR, JP Cooper for his time, and Ellie Stevenson for the artwork. Gig Guide to Life is hosted, edited, and recorded by me, Will Stevenson. Stay safe and see you next week.